Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Um, today is going to be a Sunday special. Um, for as many Sundays as I can, I want to do this where I go through a theme in the Bible and just kind of show you a a PowerPoint presentation and talk through it about something that seems to be a recurring theme through the Bible. And this one is entitled, Making Intercession with God. So we're going to talk about different characters that uh, did just that. Made Were bold enough to make intercession with God. And why I think it's such a wonderful idea that we can do this. So let's get to it. Uh, as I said in this first one, I want to cover the theme of intercession as is laid out across the Bible, starting with Job and going up to Jesus. So, this is what the scripture has to say about Job. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. <coughs> three... Verse 3, And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used, used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God's in their God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So in the text we see that Job cares for his children so very much that he makes sacrifices regularly to God on their behalf. Now this is the definition of intercession. So you might think you might think of Job as, well, it's clear that he didn't go to these feasts. So you might consider him the father that just sits back and says, you know, I don't know what they're doing at these feasts, but I'm worried enough that I'm going to take this to God and I'm going to make sacrifices to him on their behalf just in case they've done something that's out of line. And it doesn't, it wouldn't necessarily be sacrifices throughout the rest of the theme of the Bible, but this is the definition of what it would mean to make intercession with God on behalf of others. So, the next place I want to jump to is uh, Abraham and the story of Sodom. And this is what the text has to say about it. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous Righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. 
Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous people within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find so, I, if I find at Sodom fifty righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let me, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it. If I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose it, suppose twenty are found there, he answered. For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there, he answered. For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So, there's some important context here. Abraham's nephew, Lot, had left the land that is to become Israel and went to Sodom. Abraham is making intercession with God, not only on the behalf of Lot, but also for Sodom. This is a very lengthy exchange between Abraham and God. <clears throat> uh, God allows Abraham to really hash it out with him, to like to negotiate, in a sense, all the way down to ten. And I believe it's Tim Keller has a sermon on this where he says, you know, Abraham dares not go all the way down to one because he's talking about Lot's family. Lot and his family. If he goes all the way down to one, God is going to sense that Abraham's just wanting to spare Lot. And God knows this, and Abraham knows that God knows this at this point. Because he's very wise in his speech, understanding exactly whom he is talking to and the implications this exchange has. Because he's having a council with God at this moment, and he's He's able to negotiate all the way down to 10. The text doesn't say it, but it's implied that God knows what Abraham is thinking. So when God gets to, or when the angels get to Sodom to destroy it, and they find Abraham there, they 
or not Abraham, Lot, they lead Lot and his family out of the city, and we know what happens after that with Lot's wife and all that. But it's it's a very lengthy exchange when it comes to somebody talking to God in the Bible. Um, this is not the only one, but Abraham was bold enough to to seek this counsel with God and talk to him directly and make intercession on the part of not only Lot and his family, but Sodom in general, even though he knew that when God got there, he was going to find everything that he thought to be true about Sodom was true. And so we come to Moses on the mountain. And this is what the text has to say about Moses going up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and what was going on below. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us make us God who will go before us. And, and for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That's because Moses has been up on the mountain almost 40 days at this point. Aaron answered them, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, <clears throat> Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people for whom you have brought out, out of Egypt with great power and, and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn... Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make you descendant, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will, give you, I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So again the context here is Moses had been on the mountain speaking with God when the Israelites made the golden calf to worship 
in the absence of Moses. And that's important because they hadn't seen God. Moses had, well, technically, but they had not. So for all intents and purposes, Moses is the one that's praying and making intercession for them all the time. He, to the Israelites, is their physical representation of God. So when he's gone on the mountain, the Israelites need something to worship. And when it's not Moses, then it's this golden calf. And I wouldn't say they worshipped Moses, but they looked at him as like their physical representation of God. But the golden calf takes the place of that. Um, so Moses is very bold in, these, in his statements to God when he's talking to him. Um... You know, he's he's willing to say, remember the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Uh, reminding God of the things that he had told him. He says, he says, won't the Egyptians just say that you're a cruel and evil God to take these people up out of Egypt and slay them in the mountains? Like, Moses is really, you, you could say he would... You would think he would be pushing God's buttons at this point to tell him these things because it's like, who are you to say that to the creator of the universe? Like Moses is really stepping out on a very thin branch to say these things, but he's not afraid to do it. And this brings us to our last one, which is Jesus on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now this is fairly bold coming from Jesus too. I mean, we know who Jesus is. But the fact is, he's making intercession for the Romans. For the scribes and Pharisees. And, or I'm sorry, the high priests. And on behalf of the crowd who was chanting to crucify him. Now, you might not say that's that bold coming from Jesus, but what would you do? I mean, the text tells us that he's fully human and fully God. What would you do in a situation like that? And remember, this text comes after the skies darken and Jesus says to God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why can I not see you? He knows at this point or at least the text seems to imply that at this point God has turned his face away because he can't look at all the sin, but that God is an angry God, can be, as we saw in the text with Moses, and that God may have had on his mind to wipe out everybody in that moment, including all the Romans, all the crowd, just wipe everybody out and here sits Jesus to make intercession he says they don't know what they're doing they don't understand God don't don't let your anger burn against them like Moses told you on the mountain so in conclusion I am I'm just I'm floored and astounded at the fact that the creator of the universe when we go and talk to him, he wants to listen. He says, here I am. Bring it to me. 
Let me hear what you have to say. He allows us to make intercession, sometimes on our own behalf, but sometimes on behalf of others too. Because when, when somebody comes and asks you for prayer and you're willing to do that, you're really willing to take your time and pray for that person, you're seeking counsel with God and making intercession on somebody else's behalf. And it's, it's a firm belief I have that nothing pleases God more than that. That when you're willing to, to do that for someone else, on behalf of someone else, God says, that's what I'm talking about. You're spending your time. You're not being selfish. Like you might say, that's, that's nothing to pray for somebody else. But to God, that's a lot. You know, it goes, it goes back to time management sacrifice. You are sacrificing your time, however small that is, to make intercession on somebody else's part. And it's just, it's astounding, it's awe-inspiring, and it's one of the best gifts that we have that comes through Christ. That we can make intercession with God. Uh, that's all I have. Guys, let me know in the comments how much you like this one. And if you do, I'll keep doing it. And also let me know if you guys would like to possibly get this as an audio podcast. That's all I have. Thanks, guys.